we're back. Welcome back to the Flat Out RC podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things radio control flight. We're talking helis, planes, and drones. My name is Andrew Sill, coming to you all the way down here in Melbourne, Australia, if you are listening from overseas. Well, another good episode coming up. Uh, one of my aims with this podcast is to sort of cover or talk to people from all around Australia uh, and some of the big names uh, internationally. And today is the first episode where we're talking to someone from Northern Territory, which is uh, way up north, central Australia, up to the north. Talking to Ray Younger all the way from Darwin. Uh, going to tell us about his hobby activities, but also what's it like flying in the Northern Territory and the flying scene in Northern Territory and more. So stay in tune for that interview with Ray Younger. But before we get into that, Let's take a look at what's been happening around the traps. So what's been happening around the traps? Well, not much. Uh, Still not much flying happening down here in Melbourne, Australia. Absolutely zero in metropolitan Melbourne. But I've been talking to my good friend uh, Brad Worm up in uh, Chukaway, northern Victoria, north central sort of Victoria, and uh, he's been getting out a little bit. Uh, so congratulations to all those who can get out flying because I'll tell you what, we are just chomping at the bit to get out there. But news, well, there is some news this week and it's coming from AJ Aircraft. Now, AJ Aircraft, if you haven't heard of them, they are a brand that Andrew Jeske started with his family. Now, Andrew Jeske being one of the best aerobatic pilots in the world, uh, especially pattern flying, but uh, also does 3D freestyles. Been on the scene for, for a long time, a very accomplished pilot. And so he started AJ Aircraft a number of years ago now. And they've got a new model coming out, which is a Laser Z200. It says coming soon. So I don't know whether you're allowed to order them. But the interesting thing about this model, it's a 92-inch wingspan laser aerobatic plane designed for 3D flight that is uh, aimed to be used with the new 70cc size engines. Now, this is weird because the 92-inch size plane used to be the domain of a 60cc'er, but now there's a 70cc'er. Well, they're overpowering the planes with those. And, you know, the difference between a 60 and a 70 from a weight perspective is really not that much, but you're going to get a lot more grunt. So I did see a little bit of video flying it around. And, um, and look, you know, you watch people fly these planes and they're always good pilots and they make everything look good. It's really hard to tell unless you behind the six yourself, but it looked great. Really nice scheme. The one that I'm looking at on the on my screen here is a blue and white scheme. I do actually like, I think Jeske's models really look really nice. They, they've got, whoever's designing the scheme is good. Now, they're following the trend of a lot of other aerobatic manufacturers like Extreme Flight Pilot RC with moving towards um, quick release canopies, quick release wing connections and that kind of thing. But one of the interesting things about this model is that it's got a dual stab location. So you can move your stabilizer uh, uh, forward or... So they're saying uh, slide back for precision and forward for mega 3D. So it's really moving that stab into different locations that will impact you know, how, how um, the tail sort of responds. And you know, we know that longer tail moment moment can really help with precision. So maybe that's part of it, moving those stabs a bit rear. But that's never heard of anybody doing that. And of course, being a Jeski model, he's always trying to find, uh, you know, that 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 great balance with precision. But the quick release stuff is great. Like you know, being able to put your wings on without having to do bolts up. Oh, I'd love to do that. All my models are all a bit old school, so got to still screw them in. So what else are they saying? 
It's this plane is designed with all kinds of new features, multiple step locations, quick release wings, quick release canopy, most importantly, completely new designed wing and airfoil and much more. Don't know what the much more is, but it's a bit of a rethink. Uh, but yeah, so the AJ aircraft, Laser Z200, 70cc, 92 inch wingspan, what used to be sort of commonly known as that 50 to 60 inch, uh, sorry, not 50 to 60 inch, 50 to 60 cc size plane now capable of handling the, the mighty powerful 70 cc and you know it's going to be the, the, the models are good like the, the history of their the manufacturing is they're basically made in the factory that made 3d hobby shop planes uh and um their quality is really good and if you listen to was it last week's episode with ian howard from desert aircraft australia who happens to sell the aj aircraft uh, he's really impressed with the quality of them. And um, yeah, they're good, they're good models. I've seen a number of them fly, especially in China. And they've been really good. So if you want to get your hands on one of these new Laser Z200s, well, they are coming soon. So um, if you're in Australia, Desert Aircraft Australia will be the place to go to to grab one of those models. Um, they've still got some stock of some other models, AJ Aircraft models. So they might want to get rid of a few of those first before they get a new container in. But um, they are the uh, AJ Aircraft dealer down here in Australia. And I think there's a good deal of network for AJ Aircraft if you're overseas. So keep an eye out. The AJ Aircraft Laser Z200. Well, now it's time for our special guest, and that is Ray Younger. Ray is all the way from Northern Territory in Darwin, to be precise. And I met Ray years ago. A long time ago now, through our mutual friend Ido Segev, who passed away earlier this year, rest in peace, Ido. And Ray was a good friend of Ido and had helped out with uh, designing schemes for some of Ido's planes, uh, the Segev design planes. But uh, but we all sort of became connected through Ido, and uh, Ray and I became friends. And I, I mentioned to him a while ago I wanted to get him on the on the podcast because I just wanted to talk to someone from Northern Territory because we never really hear much about the flying scene in Northern Territory here in Australia. And if you are listening from overseas, Northern Territory, it's a very warm place. Australia is a very big country and we've got vast different climates from north to south. But in Darwin, it's very tropical, uh, humid, hot, uh, smaller you know cities. So getting Ray on to just have a bit of it about his history in the hobby. And the flying scene in Northern Territory was something I thought would be great. So over to my chat with my good friend, Ray Younger. Well, it is my great pleasure to have a friend of mine from the other side of Australia in Northern Territory. You probably can't get any further away from me than where my friend Ray Younger is sitting at the moment. Ray, thanks for joining me here on the Flat Out RC podcast. No, thank you. Well, I've got this goal, and I told you this just before we got on air, that my goal is that I have people from around Australia on the show. And when I thought I need someone from Northern Territory, who, who did I first think of? My friend, Ray Younger. You and I go back a number of years now through our mutual friend, the great man, Ido Segev. Rest in peace, Ido Segev. Now, Ray, before we really get into talking about flying in Northern Territory and what it's like, because being a Southerner down here in Melbourne, it's a very, very different environment to fly in. Where did your journey in aero modeling begin? Um, well, back in, oh, going way back now, always been interested in everything and anything aviation. 
back in 1990, I was actually living in down in Richmond and Sydney, and um, one of the guys who I went to school with, his older brother, flew models. And that's pretty cool. So I went out to the field and had a look, and I'm like, hey, this is really cool. So I went to the, one of the local hobby shops and bought a Baroga 2, the great old Aeroflight Oh, yeah, the Aeroflight, yeah. With a good old Senwa two-channel radio, and slowly built it, slowly built it up, and learned how to cover with many burnt fingers and stuff. But yeah, he got got flying with that. Um, and mate's brother, who um, he was flying powered stuff. He had a, um, I think it was a Gemini and a Aeroflight Telstar. And then progressed once I could fly with their help. Um, I progressed to a high high fly, I think, precedent, little basic three-channel um, powered plane with a little um, 25 glow motor and then progress from there. You know what's funny? Like Aeroflight. The Aeroflight brand, brand in Australia, if anyone's listening from overseas, and Ray, people do listen from overseas, I can tell you now, I've seen the data, that Aeroflight was a brand of uh, balsa kits that were sold in Australia for many, many years, and they they finished, uh, I can't remember, late 90s or something, they might have stopped production, I can't remember exactly when. They uh, Some of their gear's been bought by a local hobby shop, and they're trying to sort of bring back some of the kits, but it's pretty expensive to do that. But Aeroflight is responsible for getting a lot of people started in the hobby here in Australia, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, brewing kits. I'm, I'm lucky enough. I've, I've got two albatrosses, albatrosses sitting in boxes, untouched, really? waiting to get built. No, I do yep. you? Because yes. a, a little story is the first glider I built was an albatross back in the eighties. Yes, I have, I have two sitting here in original condition, untouched, and oh. I'm just like trying to stop from building them because they're such a beautiful glider to fly. Yeah, they are. They are a nice glider. The um, the albatrosses. A few people down here in. Melbourne that have electrified them, and there was actually some people were doing. Oh, there was a, there's a club down here called Varms that do they specialise in gliding, and and a, a few of them are modifying the the albatross. But uh, yeah, they they I, I used to love uh, Aeroflot used to produce a catalogue, and I remember just staring at this catalogue. I wore the catalogue out. The staples would fall out. The pages were falling out all over the place. But this was back in sort of mid eighties kind of time frame, and. It was just phenomenal, and of course the Brolga was a good kit. I had I built an Aries as well, and I still have that Aries. It needs to be fixed, but the uh, the Aries is still it's it's it. I, I covered it in yellow solar film or something like that, and my mum keeps on saying that that glider has followed me around to every house, and keeps on saying you still got that yellow thing, and I'm like yep, I still got it. But um, yeah, good old uh, Aeroflight. Now, so you got into the glow thing. <laughs> what was the next step after that? Because I know Ray that you got into bigger and better, <laughs> so you didn't stop at that point. So no, what, was, no. what was the next progression? Stuck with Glow for a while, and um, I got out of it for a few years with school and stuff like that, um, and then got back into it because I picked up another albatross. And then in Darwin, there's um, didn't really know who was flying who and whatnot, so went out to a few clubs and like electrics and ARFs, and it's just like, hey, like this. This whole hobby has changed dramatically and started doing a bit more research. And I bought a, um, uh, I'm just trying to think of the manufacturer now. It was a little laser, um, laser aerobatic plane come over from the States and it was electric. So 
found out what I needed, went to the hobby shop, they helped me out, got the gear, and that was my introduction into electric aircraft with um, LiPo batteries. And um, we had a, I joined East Point Aero Modelers up here, and we had an open day, one of the guys from the other club come over with this nice big extra. It's like, wow, that's that's huge, like, that's big, like, it's 50cc, and he went and done his show and hovered it, and Started looking into it, thought, oh, no, nah, petrol's way beyond me. And two years later, bought the first petrol and, yeah, got away from blown motors and now it's all petrol or electric. Yeah, big stuff. Now, it is funny that, that as well how we see these bigger planes and we say, oh, no, we don't need something that big, but eventually we end up there and going even bigger. And you went even bigger than 50cc. Uh, yeah, I went from fifty the fifty cc. I built a. I started looking and getting into iMac because a few guys up here really pushing it, and I thought it was an interesting concept. So I actually bought a um, SDS Hobbies um, MSXR thirty cc. So I brought that over and built it, and didn't actually ever get to fly it. Um, this guy at the club really wanted it, so I thought, oh, so I sold it. And then I bought the bigger fifty cc version. And I built that, and it flew beautifully. Um, I went competed with that not in 2013 down at Yenda for the IMAC um, Nationals. Yeah. And then from there, um, a few of the guys up here said, well, bigger is better, they fly better. So I saved me pennies and bought a Compath Extra 330SC um, in the Skydance scheme, which a few of the other um, people gave it a bit of a, different name because of the pink on it, but won't mm. go there. And then um, from there, I thought I had the opportunity to um, go to the next step and bought a 3.1 metre Krill 330 SE. Oh, did you? I didn't know you had one of those. Yeah, I did have. What happened to that one, Ray? Um, I actually got it probably 90% finished and due to size restriction on my build room, I just could not get it finished and it sat in the trailer. Um, so I ended up selling it to a very good friend up here, um, Ross, who will, well, I'll give him a hand to get it finished to get it flying. So that's only probably a day's work worth left to go. But other than that, it's all complete, ready to fly with a um, DLE 170 up front. Jeez, that's been sitting around for a while. But uh, what are some of the other big planes you've owned? Um, got a, a had a Bill Hempel um, Super Decathlon which I ordered in on a custom colour scheme through the suppliers in Perth, running a DA100 in that. That was a nice plane. Yeah, it flew beautifully. It was a big um, big puppy dog. It scared me because of the price ticket flying around, but it, it flew so gentle. And lucky enough, um, good friend Ido, he actually flew to Gathlon's the real thing. Um, and when it was ready, he was up here, and he actually did the test fly of yeah. it. No, he loved it. he loved the cathlons, and he 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 always uh, used to tell me about flying that plane and how good it was. But that 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 three meter decathlon is just it's got presence and and that scheme that you got was a white and grey, wasn't it? White top, grey yeah. down the bottom with was it like an orange or a red stripe or something down the middle? Uh, dark red, black, white, and silver is the color scheme. Yeah, um, it was a three point six meter. Three point six, that's massive. Yeah, thirty eight percent. And with the hundred cc, was okay. You reckon? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, pulled it around, no worries. Well, it wasn't like you wouldn't go and hover it and hmm. fully 3D, but if you wanted to fly around scale, it looped and rolled and all that, no problem. 
Yeah. Does it was nice 19.1 kilos, kilos flying weight. Yeah, okay. And did um and that that's been sold now, hasn't it? Yeah, I, I same thing with the field. It was it's just a um daunting dropping it in over trees. So I thought, oh and it was sitting around, so I put it up for market and uh Norm Fraser who I knew through flying iMac um contacted me and said, Yep, I'll take it. So I was lucky enough a friend was driving his truck down to Brisbane, so we chucked it in the back of that and then he got it sorted and from Brisbane down back down to Sydney. Yeah, it works well. Uh, that's that's one of the challenges. So you know, with these big planes is moving them around, you need almost big trucks to get them around. And so now yeah. um now sitting in your hangar, what does your hangar look like now? What have you got? Um it's up up and down. Um kind of regretted selling the decathlon because it's such an awesome plane. So Seagull released a 50cc version, so I hummed and hard and hummed and hard because the only photos I saw was of a not a real pretty white screen with green and yeah. yellow light, lightning bolt stripes on it. It just didn't work. And then I saw that they did the yellow and blue ones. Like, hey, that's cool. So got one ordered and got it up here and um, just, it just worked at the right timing that DLE had just released their new 65cc. Um, so I thought that'll be perfect. So I contacted Jackie and they were about a week away. And um, yes, got that in it, running all dual sky servos. Um, and yeah, it's an absolute dream to fly. It's such such a good fun. Um, what else have I got? I've got the, still got the 50cc Yak 55M. Yeah. Um, got the MB339 sitting in the trailer um, in, in the house. I've got the albatrosses, uh, EMS, um, Stuka, top um, top flight um, Cessna one eight two, a small Texan. What size is the top flight? Um, it's a twenty cc. Yeah, it's still be a decent size though. Big wingspan, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's. I think it's a one point nine five meter wing. Yeah, like it's a fair fair wingspan on it. How does that go? Uh, I uh, don't know. I actually bought it secondhand uh, for, from a gentleman in Brisbane. Yeah. Um, complete. So I've got it over here. Not happy with the way the hinging and that's done on the wing. So I've cut all them open and fixing all that up. Um, some dodgy hobby shop dealer down in Melbourne sold me a um, 3D hobby shop extra 330 LT. Oh, I know him. He's a good looking guy. I don't know if he's good looking, but yeah, pretty dodgy. Sell you nah, anything. he's a good he could, he could sell ice to an Eskimo. Nah, he's he's not like that. He's a legend of a guy. I've heard of him. Wait a second. Who is he? Oh, wait a second. That was me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, that was um, good. Yeah, yeah we nah, got you an extra, absolutely. which uh, I've actually got one of those extras myself that I haven't built. I've kept it as a spare. Yeah, um, good, because I might need it. What? Um, oh, I don't know. You're not going to need it. You don't need like, no. It's mine. It's it's. Oh, I, every, other people have offered to buy it off me. It's a 3D Hobby Shop 75-inch extra. And it's actually yeah. the matching colour scheme to my 100cc version of the same plane. Oh, don't and tell me that. My, th- my theory is that uh, I've got another 3D Hobby Shop 30cc, the old generation extra, and it's a great. I love flying that plane. And as long as that's flying, my theory is, I don't, why do I need another one taking up more space? So I'm just keeping it as a kit, and as soon as uh, something goes wrong with that plane, I'll uh, I'll build the, the 75. With that 75 extra, though, I, I'm tossing up, should I put an electric engine in it or go with a 30cc, 35cc no. gasser? Well, I went electric and um, going through when I bought 
boarded off here. I thought I'll get ahead of the ball game and do some research on what motor set up and that. And I've always liked dual sky electrics. Um, so don't know a lot about them. So I've done the conversion and worked out what the dual sky equivalent was, ring model flight. And they said, yeah, yeah, we've got one here. No worries. Ordered it and the speed controller. And I got it up here and started reading through the book from the motor and it's everything was 10S. 10s it's like yeah. hang on but this is a 6s airframe and the hacker is 6s and so i rang Edo because he was very cluey on um that thing and he just said nah you stuffed up you just stuffed up that is a 10 10s setup that's like yeah. oh bugger so well, do you know what you can fly i've seen people fly it on a 6s and i've seen them fly on a 10s and even up to 12s and 10s is actually probably good it it's is just, you know a, the problem is five shot batteries yeah, yeah I, I run it on two 5S 4000s. Yeah. Uh, um, and it'll go vertical at half throttle, no problem at all. Yeah. Running a 20, I think it's a uh, 22, 2111E prop on it, so it's a big bladed yeah, prop. that's big. Um, but it comes in lean so slow. It's just a pleasure to fly and, yeah. Um, Those... A few people up here want to, want to buy it because it's such a good flying plane. It's like, yeah, no, this one I'm keeping. Well, it's the thing with 3D hobby shop planes is that they were, they're quite, I hate to use the word floaty because floaty sort of gives a connotation that they're just a bit, they're not very precise, but they fly light and it was sort of like the style of flying that was happening back then where now it's a bit more aggressive. So you need a little bit more weight in the aircraft um, to keep for the momentum and all that kind of stuff. But the, they were, they, they were precise, but I always say that they, you can, you can feel the difference with the 3D hobby shop planes and the yeah, lightness I, in the like airframe. But yeah, yeah, I do as well. It's a it's a broad wing on mm. it, and um, like Edo Edo flew it and flew it like how Edo flew, and mm. it was like excellent. Like it would do everything that mm. a freestyle pilot do, or just go out and dawdle around with it. It's got the capabilities. It's just yeah, a beautiful airframe to fly. Yeah, I love love my thirty cc. It's just predictable. It's just reliable and it's predictable. I know what it's going to do every time I fly. Actually, that's one of the planes that one of the first planes are going to fly when we get get let loose down here in Victoria. Now, speaking oh, yeah. of uh, Victoria and, and Northern Territory, I really want to get you on to talk about a bit, bit about the Northern Territory flying scene because, you know, for anybody that's listening from overseas, Northern Territory is really far north and the, the climate's totally different to down south, uh, you know, on, on the tip of the desert in a kind of way, very remote sort of a location. So let's start with the, the question that I've got, and that is about how do you go flying in hot weather, because I don't know how you do it. Yeah, it's easy. You, you get climatized to it. Yeah, it's hot and sweaty, especially this time of the year. We're in the builder, and it's it's not enjoyable, but you put up with it when you want to go out for a fly. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't go out and go, oh well, let's go for a nice walk in this weather. Be yeah, yeah, let's go for a fly. Yeah, um, yeah. It's during the dry season. It's lovely. Like the weather's beautiful. It gets a little bit windier, um, but. You land to fly through certain winds. Um, build up is not real nice; like just hot and humid. What's the temperature today? Once, um, I think we're at thirty-four with about eighty odd percent humidity. Yeah, um, there's the odd little storm around. Um, it's going to get to thirty-five later in the week, um, but that's why there's aircon for when you're not flying. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's yeah, it gets hot. Um, but when we go out and fly, normally it's later on in the afternoon when it's starting to cool down and 
yeah, you kind of kind of switch off when it's when you're out with friends and flying. Yeah, you don't notice as much. What about um? Do you have to be mindful of anything with your aircraft when you're in that kind of heat? No, just don't leave them in the sun. Yeah, like the club we I fly at East Point. It's we've got really nice facilities. We've got two really long um, flight areas, all undercover. Um, so there's plenty of shade, so you can put your planes back underneath to get them out of the sun, and so they're only in the sun while you're flying them. Um, and yeah, just don't leave fuel cans or batteries in the sun because it gets hot very quickly. Yeah, it's a well, I've been in China and on really hot, humid, in really hot, humid conditions, and on an asphalt runway, mind you, as well. So it's just like we were, we were sweating from every direction, but uh. Yeah, it's amazing. The, the, a lot of people get a bit paranoid about their models, but it's amazing what they can handle. In, 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 I've seen people in China flying in 35-degree heat with high humidity and n- not one engine cut because of over being overheated or anything like that. But the, it, I have seen uh, the, the worst I ever saw was a 3D Hobby Shop 106 Edge, the demonstrator scheme, the black scheme if anybody knows extreme flight 3d hobby shop and they merged they developed this model called the demonstrator demonstrate their capability and it was a black scheme and this beautiful model looked like an ugly duckling basically it it the front of the canopy which was a plastic sort of material had warped in the sun and it just looked disgusting that airplanes the only only <laughs> damage i've seen uh to an aircraft because of the heat. Besides that, yeah, you got to keep them out of the sun. But how many are there? A lot of flying clubs up where you are in Darwin. They're in the Darwin vicinity, there's three. Uh, we've got East Point Aero Models where I fly. We've got um, DMFC Darwin Model Flying Club, which is out towards Lianya, which is probably maximum 15 minute drive from where we are. And then you've got Darwin Model Rural Flyers, which are probably about 40 minute drive out of town. Um, you got, I believe there's two clubs in Alice Springs and there used to be a club in Catherine where we used to do a lot of IMAC flying. Um, but people moving on, leaving town, I think they're pretty well non-existent anymore. Yeah. So is there a, is there a, a, a chapter of the MAAA up there as well? Oh, what? Sorry. Is there a chapter of the MAAA up there? Like who looks after oversees the flying in, in Northern Territory? Yeah, we 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 um we I think the other two other clubs are not M affiliated. Okay. DMFC maybe I'm not 100 percent sure. We are. Yeah, we're an MAAA affiliated club, and I believe the two in Alice Springs are M Yeah. Now the um, what's your runway? What, what material are you flying off? Uh, bitumen. We've got um. I think it's 190 meters. Really? A bitumen. I think it's oh, 15 meters wide. And then right beside that, we've got parallel. We've got a big grass strip, same size. And then we've got also a bitumen cross strip. Who paid for that? It's uh, expensive. It's, it's been there for a lot of years. It got resurfaced uh, about three years ago um, through a government grant. Um, so we've got all new, smooth, lovely hot mix oh, down on it. How do you go flying off that? Because we don't, we don't often, oh, don't do it down here. Only at some jet, jet events if they're at full size airports. But besides that, yeah, you... it's it's good. Like as a few of the guys, um, we got an older demographic of flyers at our club, 
and they they fly a lot of the hobby king like smaller planes and stuff like that. It's good for them because it gets it off the ground quicker. Yeah. Um, the bigger stuff, um, it's nice to land on, um, depending on the plane. Like if it's a warbird, um, grass catch catch up sometimes. But yeah, no, it's you've got that option. Even if you're a bit wide coming to land, you've got the grass strip right beside it. So yeah, and the runoff, cool. it's smooth. Like they're almost level, so there's no oh, really that's undulation. Handy. Cause that's yeah. what I've found when I've seen um, when I've been in China and um, and they fly off some of the asphalt runways, the planes land and they just keep on rolling and <laughs> roll off the runway. And it, at one event, two thousand seventeen, uh, the runway was great, it's brand new asphalt, nice and long and really wide. But as soon as you got onto the edge of that asphalt, got off the edge of the asphalt you were into basically something equivalent to a rubbish tip. And we saw a lot of aeroplanes lose landing gear. The problem was that the competitors, I was there judging the aerobatic event, and the competitors would land and they'd turn around and bow the judges whilst their plane's running off the runway. And we'd be like looking at the plane saying, no, turn around. And we had to tell the organizer to tell the pilots to make sure that they land their plane to come to a standstill before they turn around and thank us. But, and you know, not that we're looking for thanks anyway, we'd rather see the plane in one piece, but yeah. Yeah. That's their culture. Yeah, it's one of those things I think uh, with the asphalt thing is in, in China, it's very cheap for them to build run, um, asphalt strips that uh, in 2018, the Life on High Rates video, when when I shot that, there's asphalt strip and they told me that it cost them $40,000 to build the whole the whole strip. And we're talking at least 150 to 180 metres of asphalt and I'm talking 50 metres wide. This thing was massive and it was, it was pristine. And, yeah, uh, I think ours was more than that and not that big. Yeah. Oh, look, my dad was in road construction. And I know how much it costs to, to build some of these roads. And, gee, it's just not cheap. But in China, they build a lot of roads and they uh, cheap labor and all that. And they get it done really, really cheap. So a lot of the flying clubs do have asphalt strips there. And I think it, it makes sense for certain certain areas. Like uh, down here in Victoria, um, we've got a field out in uh, northern Victoria called uh, Atuka. And they could do with a strip because their conditions get really dry and it's difficult for them to, to run a grass strip and irrigate it and keep it going all year round. So they've used um, matting. You know, they put these mats down to create the runway, but uh, I'm not a big fan of matting runways because they just look ugly, but they are very practical. But yeah, some club like that could really benefit. There is one club down here at Albury that has a concrete runway, uh, which looks absolutely phenomenal as well. So uh, any yeah, hard... Concrete's concept. very expensive. Yeah, it is. More expensive than bitumen. I can't remember whether they got a grant or something, but somehow they funded it. But uh, yeah, it is probably cheaper to put bitumen down. So yeah, yeah. it's. So the fly. How many people uh, do you reckon are flying in in Northern Territory? What what are the numbers looking like? You know, how many Uh, members of the club? It's they've they've certainly dropped off. Um, Not having a hobby shop in Darwin does, I think, aid in the drop off. um, Because when we did have the hobby shop. Um, he he was really good. He was a club member, so he's always promoting it and always getting new people into it and joining up and that. But now there's none of that. It's slowly dropping. I don't know the actual numbers, but I know it's it's down it's what it has been over the last couple of years. Um, same with DMFC. Um, I think their numbers are limited because there's no one really promoting it. Uh, the Dale Rural Flyers, I think they've got a fair, fair number that fly. Um, so there's a lot, a lot of people that live out rural, mm. um, 
So they used to fly at Humpty Doo Oval until yeah, people got a bit annoyed from the noise. So then they got um, granted some landing behind the rifle club. So they've gone through and landscaped it and that. But I think they've got a they've got a decent following with the odd person joining. It's funny how uh, how many model flying clubs are located next to gun clubs. We're like the two most hated hobbies because we make a bit of noise but even then you know like airplanes do make a bit of noise but the gun noise is probably worse as actually i was a member of a club down here in victoria that was right next to a gun range and you'd be flying and you know on a saturday or something and the club was a busy club and so you whilst you're flying there's like bow, 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 bow. You know, there's guns going off everywhere like in the middle of a war but uh it's in the middle of nowhere so so it was an issue for people but uh you know the lilydale yeah, club we're, down we're, here is, we're, we're pretty lucky like we're we're actually our club's in the in a reserve, hmm. um, so you can see we're right beside the flight path to Darwin Airport, and you can stand at our gate and you can see the city. So we're we're pretty lucky on where we are, um, but there's we're not around houses or anything, which is um, I think handy. part of our saviour. Really, no one complains about the noise or anything like that. Yeah, we don't often hear about noise complaints. Very often, really, uh, and uh, you know, clubs, if if they know that there could be a potential problem, they put their their noise limits in and all that kind of stuff. But uh, generally, I think we've been relatively okay because clubs just manage the situation as they as they need to. If you're in the middle of nowhere, then yeah, you don't have to worry as much. You know, just run dump mufflers on your big 100 cc and make some noise, rip, get a nice ripping prop going. Um, it doesn't really matter. But anyway. When you think about it, there's lots of things that make noise in our environment, and model planes aren't flying all the time. But uh, yeah, we just we've got to actually the council put a walking track right on our edge, edge of the boundary of our field, yeah. uh, which potentially could create a lot of issues, like not being allowed to fly over people and that. So when that first went in, we really had to be careful where we we're flying, be very um, conscientious of like people on the walking track. Um, especially if they have like a fun run and that, what well, we just didn't fly because it's just the risk yeah, of fly. something happening, potentially happening, and a lot of people on that track. So we just we just manage and go, okay, they can have their thing. We'll just fly later on in the day. Yeah, common sense to eliminate any um potential issue. Well, you know, they always say that the the, the, the people from Darwin, Northern Territory, pretty pretty laid back. Would you say that that's correct? Uh yeah, yeah, very laid back, very so, very much so. It's um. The heat slows you down. Oh, it's just, yeah, all this time of year, the humidity gets here, starts to make you get tropo. But <laughs> yeah, up here, there's, it's, people are laid back. Um, it's the lifestyle. I think people that want that laid back lifestyle move up here. Yes. Yeah, um, other than the fast pace of a city like Melbourne, Sydney, and stuff like that. Yeah, they're chalk and cheese. Well, there's a friend of mine actually from school days who used to play in band with me, Ambrose Nichols. And he uh, he moved up to Darwin. And he goes and uh, he plays music now. He does it for a living. He's out playing at the the Darwin Ski Club on weekends and stuff like that. But um, yeah, he's a good bloke, and I think yeah, he loves loves the life up there in Darwin because it's very very different to to other parts of the world. Now I want to talk a yeah. bit about a big event that you were part of uh, a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Now the the Masters Games that was ha- that were held in Alice Springs. Yep, two and, years, almost two years to the date. Yeah, two years ago. true. Yeah, exactly. And and that was held in Alice Springs. Now the Masters Games, of course, is a uh, 
a bit like the Olympics for old people in a kind of way, but, but they do have varied sports. You know, they, they might have some running races and that kind of thing, but they'll add in other sports as well. And one of the sports that was included was aero modeling. Because as you and I know, Ray, we are athletes, aren't we? Oh, yeah. We train, we work hard, we eat right, we train. <laughs> we, we, we love eating, don't we, Ray? Anyway, the yes. uh, the Alice Springs event, uh, tell me a bit about it. Like, just give us the overview of what it was about and what categories were flown and all that kind of stuff. It was When it was announced like they were going to get um, air modelling into the Masters Games in 2018, the guys um, down in Alice Springs and I, and I believe Ross and a few other guys from up here all put their thinking hats on and worked towards it and, and got it approved and got it in. Um, so they had to decide the discipline. So they went with F5J, um, iMac and Old Timer. And so we thought, meh, I, I qualify. I'm old enough. So not, got the application form, sent it in. Um, what was, what was the age limit, Ray? Um, depending on the sport, it varies. Um, Fair for, modeling, was it like 18 or was no, it? No, 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 40. 40, okay, be, yeah. be older than we 40. I'd get in um, easy. But they, yeah, over 40s um, and they within the old timer, I think they had four or five different classes in the old timer, like Tixico and this and that. Mm. Don't know much about the old times. Awesome, awesome to watch. Um watch the old guys doing what they do with their um, old-fashioned diesels and this and that. And, and then they had their 5J and then iMac. Um, we only ran basic and sportsman due to the numbers. Um, but, yeah, it was it was from a from the very get-go, of like, hey, this is the first time ever, be good fun, to the road trip down with a bunch of guys, uh, made it a three-day trip down. And the, How many the, host, the whole event. Um, oh. There would have been, overall, there probably would have been 25-ish, maybe 30 across the whole three um, events. That's not too bad because you're really only going to get the people from Northern Territory and you're only running three categories as well. But uh, you competed in a couple, didn't you? Yeah, we had actually, there was actually people that travelled up from Sydney for it and a couple from Adelaide. Yeah, the two guys come over, um, Kevin... Watson and Klaus come over from Sydney to fly F5J with their wonderful big Maxa full full house gliders. Um, I competed in F5J and IMAC. Um, IMAC Sportsman. Yeah. The but, uh, now tell me, I heard that it was pretty hot. Yes. Um, well, it went from being freezing cold to hot over the course of the event. Mm-hmm. Uh, we arrived down there on the on the Monday and on the Tuesday, we went out to the field. They had like a barbecue meet and greet before the event. And um, while we're out there, a desert storm come through and the temperature would have gone from about 25 down to about three within about 10 minutes. It got instantly cold and mm-hmm. luckily they had a nice open fire down there. But yeah, it was quite warm a couple of days, um, quite windy. Um, so there was a period, I think, on... The second last day, it was just too hot and windy, so they just postponed and pushed the flying back to later in the afternoon to get the events done. The how, how, how did the gliders go? The F5J gliders and the uh, old timers go in the wind. Yeah, good. Um, they kind of shuffled the event around to suit each discipline. Like 
Um, obviously, the higher winds don't suit the um, old timers where IMAC, you can't fly through it. So we shuffled a couple of the events around to suit everyone so they got a fair crack at competing. Um, but, yeah, the higher winds definitely didn't favour the old timers. Um, but interesting to watch, like how it's run. Really, really interesting. And the, and the type of models... Yeah, it's really, really interesting. So everybody was at the same field. So would each category would take turns to to fly their event. Yeah, that's so, awesome. Um, I think at Five J we ran over. I think it was two days. There was a lot of flying, like back to back to back um, rounds. Um, I think doing five five pilots at a time in the air. Um, and then the IMAC was run back to back over about a day and a half, and then old-timers slotted in between all that, depending on the wind. Yeah, that'd be good because then you get to experience all the different different categories all at the same place. And, of course, it would have been uh, fun times and plenty of beer flowing, no doubt, throughout the event. Oh, the beer after, after the event, definitely a few beers. With, and it was good to meet people from around the country and mm. chit-chat and learn their history and learn the technology, especially with like Kevin and Klaus with their um, full F5J. I'd never seen them before. Mm. And the work and craftsmanship in those things are amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. I just bought myself an F5J model, the secondhand Narn Explorer 3, and it's just uh, the the work that goes into them, the carbon fiber work is just phenomenal and how they can get them so strong, yet so light, thanks to carbon fiber. But uh, the only downside... The, the only downside of these gliders is they're so the, the, the fuselages are so compact. It's so hard to get some gear in it. Like I'm always like, where am I going to put my receiver in that? But this one's actually not too bad. The discus launch gliders are shocking. There's hardly hardly any room in there. You got to be really really careful. But uh, I'm really look. I haven't flown mine, but I bought it whilst we're in lockdown. I'm waiting to get out, but uh, I can't wait to get my glider out there and, and get into some gliding. And, and how does gliding go in the Northern Territory? Because you've got lots of hot weather. Do you have some? It's good. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, you've been flying for a day or? Yeah, well, um, during the Masters, like I, only, I, I didn't have anything big and flash. And at that stage, I, all I had was a multiplex Solus. I mm-hmm. thought, oh, I'll give it a crack. So, and surprise, it doesn't have a huge wing area. And the amount of thermals, like, it catches thermals like anything else. And, mm. yeah, like, there's guys that <clears throat> will come like the high, high performance gliders. They had to get out of the thermal and get down for the 10-minute limit. Like, otherwise, yeah. they would have, um, even, like, now we're getting hotter. Um, of the Sunday afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, so guys go out to the club and fly gliders mm. and pick up thermals really, really easily. Yeah, it'd be like uh, gliding heaven up there. That's why I always say that to me, gliding is a warm weather sport. Like in the middle of winter down here in Melbourne, you know, you get your glider out, you're not going to catch anything. There's nothing around. But uh, on a nice, calm day, that's when you get maybe a slight little breeze, okay, get the glider out and have a bit of a chuck, you know. And speaking of gliders, you have just built, uh, you recently finished another glider. Now, tell everybody, what, what is that glider that you just built? Yeah, just recently. I hadn't built from like a box of pulsar and planes for uh, 15, 20 years. And I thought, no, nah, I want to do it. And I had the Aeroflight Albatross sitting there. I'm like, eh, yeah, I don't really want to touch it. And during um, the Masters, Tyson Dodd come over and I was talking to him and he actually is like a producer of the Peter Goldsmith kits. 
And um, so I had a look online and they do do a fair few range and they do the Foxbat, which is a 3.7 metre four channel. I thought, yeah, thought about it, thought about it, bit the bullet, yeah, ordered one. Um, Tyson's service is unbelievable. So if you're looking for a good glider, Tyson's the man to talk to. The glider is exceptional. The cutting quality of the kit is absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, spent um, probably six months with a lot of procrastinating in between. Um, and, yeah, built it up, got it finished, um, and then got it covered. Went old school with uh, a white and turquoise with thin striping and yeah, purple, purple panels underneath the wing. Um, done the electric conversion because you've got the option in, on the planes to do a tow hook. Or sorry, not tow hook, but a, like a bungee hook setup or a electric conversion. So I went with that, and um, yeah, took it down to a friend's property down the Adelaide River, um, and test flew it down there. And yeah, absolute charm to fly. It's absolutely beautiful. Well, that plane, yeah, you, you sent me photos of it. Yeah, so I don't know if you can hear that, Ray. Can you hear that? My dog's barking in the that background. Dog's yeah, looking out the time. window. Perfect timing. No, no, know that I'm recording. The uh, no, the, you sent me some photos of it, and that that Peter Goldsmith. We've had Peter Goldsmith on the on the podcast, which of course you've listened to, Ray, haven't you? Every single one of my podcasts, you should be listening. Yes, to. of course. Yeah, thank you, uh, Peter Goldsmith. That model, he was saying that he designed that back in the eighties, uh, kind of thing, and um, you know when he was competing, and because he, he loved gliders as well, and uh, yeah, so now he's made sort of that that design uh, public. And yeah, as you said, Tyson Dodd, who is also the secretary of the MAAA, so he, he works hard for the uh, for the hobby, and he's cutting those, laser cutting those uh, those plans and providing kits. And uh, yeah, I, I, I've had my eye on one as well because I think if you want to build a great flying, great looking glider, you can't go past that Peter Goldsmith Foxbat. It is just looks absolutely beautiful. How's it? How's it a fly? Yeah, no, it's really good, very gentle. Um... I haven't didn't need the use the spoilers coming to land. It just came in so gently. Yeah. Um, I did do a few slight modifications. Um, they use a like a film hinge, which I'm not a huge fan of, so I changed that to pin hinges on the elevator and rudder. But other than that, it's as is off the plans and um, the f yeah, everything goes together as it is. The hardware supplied is great. I was just going to ask you get all the hardware with it. Yeah, complete hardware. Basically, all you need to supply is the glue, the film, and your radio gear and motor. Everything else is um, on the servos, of course. Supplied all your push rods, um, everything is supplied. Yeah, um, and what you've got, you got the um, aileron servos in the wing. No, no, no. It's elevator rudder and spoiler. Oh, spoilers. Okay, I thought. Yeah, okay. It doesn't have aileron. Yeah, yeah. Um, don't need it. Turn turns on a dime. You've yeah. got a huge big tail fin and rudder. Um, turns on a dime. Jeez. So for an old old school glider, um, when I was building it, Chris Graham over in Queensland, who flies a lot of FIJ, was building one. So I picked his brain so I hadn't built for a while, and um, he was saying that it would it, he could compete using the Foxbat in an FIJ competition, and it could hold its own. I'm just looking on the web now. It's the Land Down Under uh, Aerosports, um, isn't it? Yeah, being down under Aerosports. Yeah. Oh, I think you're about 425 430 bucks for the kit. Yeah, something like that. Um, and um, Which is money now. really well spent. 
I'm just looking now to have a look, but uh, yeah, they are. And Peter Goldsmith knows how to design a glide, I can tell you that. And uh, he competed for many, many years in, in gliding, both here and, in, and abroad as well, and and got into designing very early. So this is one of been one of his models. Yeah, it's a massive glider, 425 bucks, and that'll get you the kit with uh, some of the hardware included as well. What's the canopy made out of? Wood. You've got to shape it. Oh, good. So like yeah, you glue, you glue two bits of um, balsa, which are, which are laser cut to the basic profile. So you've just got to sh- shape it and then relief the area for the um, wing section. Yeah. Um, easiest thing to do when you've got a uh, razor plane. Yeah, okay. And um, how do the spoilers go up and down? What's the what's connection? Yeah, wing. They run um, servos in the wing. Oh, they're in the wing. Yep, cool. Yeah. Um, so... They're a fair size spoiler. They'd be oh, yeah. inch and a bit wide by oh, probably about fourteen inches long. And the um, is it a three piece wing? Yeah, three piece. So the center section um, is one. So then you you put just like your outer wing panels in a um, mm. little bit of like a strong tape. I use the Gorilla um, clear tape on the little bit on the leading leading and trailing edge. And yeah, they don't move. Yeah, oh, it's a beautiful glider. Absolutely beautiful. It does remind me a little bit of the Albatross, Aeroflot Albatross, but it's a, it's a lot bigger. Yeah, it's like the big brother of it. Yeah, it's true. Oh, you got me excited about that. Yeah, you've got to do it. It's um, you could build them if you sat down and actually perfect lockdown model to build. If you sat down and from start to finish, you'd have it built in two weeks. Really? Yeah. It goes together really, really easily. Yeah. No. Nah. You know what my biggest problem is, Ray, with building? I was talking to a friend of mine about this. Oh, I, got, I haven't got enough room. My house is too small. Like, And there's only so much my wife can take of me building on the kitchen table. So uh, yes. I, I've got, see, I've got some bucket list planes that I'd love to build, you know, like uh, a super chipmunk, a big super chipmunk and stuff like that. But uh I'm too busy at the moment. I've got too many other things. I've got too many models I want to fly. I'm really focusing on the flying at the moment. But what, what planes are on your bucket list? Uh, bucket list. Um, a big Hawker Tempest is the, the ultimate for me. Um, looking around, um, I think Jerry Bates has just brought out a quarter scale one, which is absolutely monstrous. Um, but same thing issue with um build space very mm-hmm. limited um so just been doing a lot of research um because there's the valia aviation one fifth scale which looks about a decent size that i can manage to build um so i think that's going to be the one mm. um just obviously to work towards it to get the proper scale retracts and to do a proper job of it that's interesting why the hawker tempest because it looks cool. Well, the the typhoon, the typhoon looks cool. The tempest has got the clipped wings and the and the fatter tail. Hmm. It's just a cool looking plane. Because see, oh, like, to me, it's just like a Spitfire, a Hawker Tempest and a Spitfire. Well, no. they're variation on a theme, you know. Okay, I'm not the biggest warbird fan. It doesn't mean I hate warbirds. So if you like warbirds out there, I'm not saying. 
I hate warbirds, but I'm just not into them myself. I appreciate a good model. One thing I find that every time I go to an event and there's a whole bunch of like Mustangs and Spitfires, half of them end up crashing on takeoff or landing. Like I, was, I went to one event at Bensdale and five, literally five different, they're either a Spitfire or a Mustang, um, had sustained some damage from nosing over on landing, running off the strip, stalling into the strip, you name it. I'm thinking... They look great when they're in the air, but I'll tell you what, putting me off on a fly one. That's where you get it. You just get it. You just get it. Do you it. Mean, Warbirds are good. You're going to tell good me they're soft, aren't you? Okay. No, you just need to be educated. <laughs> that is a good one. Well, speaking of educated, um, you won't find anyone here with a proper education. Let's look around. But the um, uh, turbine jets, all right? Yes. Turbine model. You, you sent me a photo uh, a while back. And we got to talking about jets and us, and you sent me this photo of a jet and uh, we're both newbies in the whole jet uh, caper. But tell me a bit about the, mo- the turbine model that you now got. It's a 1.6 scale MB339. Yeah. Um, how it all come about, um, very, very good friend of mine who lives in Alice Springs, Dave Goods. Um, that's basically all he flies. He does fly other stuff, but mainly he's into his jets. And I always appreciate them. They're cool. They sound cool. The smell is just intoxicating. Um, and I always thought, nah, above me, I'll never do it. I'll never do it. And then just as time gone on, I thought, well, yeah, that'd be pretty cool to own one. No, I don't really need it. And then um, I'd done, a, done some artwork for a model supply down in Melbourne, and he he stocks them. And I thought, oh, right, was do a good deal for me. I might buy one, and he done me a good deal. And so I, I bought the three three nine, and I said to Dave because I'd never build a jet and a whole new ball game. I said I'm going to send you a plane, get it built for me. So I didn't actually build it. The only thing I did was um, do the cockpit kit and the pilots, and printed them up and painted them to make it a little bit more realistic. And yeah, Dave and Alice built the plane for me. Um, it's running a Jet Months one hundred. The only thing wasn't real happy with um he wasn't trusting on the servos how they mounted so i just said look just build it as you it was yours if you want to replace the servos just add an edit obviously extra cost so basically everything got stripped out and started from bare airframe and away it went um so he he came up to darwin for a holiday with the family he brought the jet up down at ross's base and he test flew the jet um for me um it's had probably four flights on it now um, I've had maybe about three minutes of stick time on the jet. And yeah, it's totally, totally different to what I'd anything I'd experienced from flying a prop driven or a glider with a jet. It goes where you point it. Um, mm. And yeah, it's just a whole new learning curve. Um, so getting kind of off the beaten track, the masters were meant to be on in two weeks' time, but due to COVID, it's been cancelled. Mm. Um, so I thought, hey, why not? Still got holidays planned. So going down to Alice Springs for a week just to fly jets to, to get some more um, tuition from Dave and to see if I like flying jets. Yeah, no, I think you're going to enjoy it. And the, the plane you got is a – what's the model again? It's an um, MB339. Yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah. That's got a nice wing on it, so you're not going to have any problems in uh, flying. Yeah, it flies that. nice. It, lands, it doesn't land like a rocket ship. Um, that's yeah, the, well, that's Dave, the Dave flies thing. it beautifully, but um, 
yeah, no, it's, it's something we've got to learn to fly. And... You'll be fine. Maybe, uh, you know, I, I always talk about how this turbine thing's got a massive movement. Did you did you watch my new video on inside a turbine? Because, you know, you said earlier that you, you'd never built one and I was like you, didn't know, you know, I knew what a turbine jet was, but I'd, I'd never built one and whatever. And then I bought a secondhand one. Once I got the jet in my hands and I looked at it and I went through all the components, I went, "Oh, this is actually really easy. It's not that that hard to to get my head around the whole entire yeah, model." That, yeah, it's uh, not a lot in them, which I was no. very surprised. Like I thought there would have been like ten times harder than like a petrol plane or whatnot. Mm. But yeah, it's um, very basic setup, very complicated little units, but very basic setup. True, within yeah. The, uh, within the jet, but um. We've got this, I always, I said in the video that we've got this smart computing that manages all the, the turbine and all that. So we just, it's just one plug kind of thing into the engine and, uh, you know, battery and a few other, you know, pump and all that. But it's, it's pretty much, you know, plug and play in a kind of way. And even installing a turbine is so easy. I've, I've had to pull mine out. I was doing some work on the rear end of the plane, changing some servos out. And so I had to pull half the model apart in a kind of way, the thrust tube had to come out, turbine had to come out so I could get to the rear. And uh, it literally was nothing. It was just like mind-boggling, so easy. I was like, oh, this is just just crazy. But that's why I, I shot the video on the Flat Out RC website. You can go and have a look at the uh, inside a RC jet because a lot of people are daunted about what what's inside it. And I wanted to sort of show people that it ain't that hard. It's actually pretty easy. And uh, these are the components and this is what they do. And uh, they'll help help you if you want to make that transition uh, over to a jet. So, yeah, we're jet buttons Yeah, like it's... It's a learning curve, um, but there's plenty of people around that are willing to help. That's one thing I found with the jets. Like they're they're just a good bunch of people. Most people in aeromodeling really good. They're always there to help to get yeah. get you into that discipline. And um, there's plenty of information um, on the internet now about jets and jet products and stuff like that. Well, we we, we share. I think we all share that passion, and we're all we're all tinkerers. And you know. You know my theory, Ray, that uh, most aeromodelers are also into cars or boats or fishing and stuff like that. And you're a car man, we know that, and dabbled in uh, different cars over the time. But uh, but yeah, uh, the thing that I found with the turbines is, yeah, if you're at if you're at a field and someone's got a jet, they'll help you out. But I was sitting at home trying to work it out, kind of thing, get my head around this whole jet thing. And and I did ring up a few few mates that are involved in flying jets to ask them a few questions before I bought the jet. Now, what should I be looking for and all that kind of stuff? But I was still sort of daunted about, you know, how does it all work? But once I got my hands on it, um, it sort of really fell into place very, very quickly. And I think that's what we enjoy as aero modelers. That's why, you know, I'm a bit like you, Ray, and that you like aerobatics, scale planes, gliders, now turbines. Uh, even like when you're talking about the old timers, you're going, look, you know, they're flying diesel and you're intrigued about that. That's our mindset. That's what we're, we're wired that way, that we're interested to learn and we also make the effort, you know, like I always use my brother as an example, my older brother, he could not be bothered in uh, aero modeling in any way, shape or form. It's like golf. He struggles with golf. Like he hits the ball and goes, where's the ball gone? Right. It's just too, too much for him. It's just, his brain is not wired that way. It's just too complex. Whereas we just lap it up. You know? And I think the other good thing about it is it keeps us because we are wired that way. We're always learning something. We're always willing to learn something. Like every day, I'm thinking about model airplanes in some way, shape, or form. Especially talking to mates and stuff like that that are involved in it. That's taken. Yeah, it's, it's always changing. Like I, I, I'd flown for Tarba for many years, um, 
and then I thought, oh, if I'm getting in jets, it's going to be hard to like get someone to test fly it, and because I, I wouldn't challenge myself to test fly a jet because it would just end badly. And Dave flew jetty and thought about it, and like the cost on setting the jet up on Fataba, it was just like, yeah. And Dave had a um, a jetty fourteen channel radio second hand on No Two, um, motor champion, which, right? Yeah, well. Everything you fly around on one stick, yeah. Um, but yeah, I hummed and hard, and they sent the radio up, so I had a had a feel of it. It felt really nice. Um, yeah, they do feel nice. And I thought I'll see if I can offload all my Fataba stuff, which I was lucky enough that the guy up here who used to fly with us got out of it due to the family and that. He's getting back into it, and he said, "Well, I was looking for radio." I said, "Beauty, you can buy my Fataba gear." So. Now I've switched over to Jetty, um, and the program, learning the programming on the Jetty, it's it's awesome. Like it's a totally different type of programming. Um, it's very simplistic, nice radio, and now the flying turbines that Dave can buddy box me on it. So if I get into trouble, he can take over and save the model. But yeah, it's just learning the new processes and how different manufacturers run their radios yeah. and like different servos and this and that and the smart fly systems and power box and it's for forever changing and it's always new learnings that's true and there's, there's a lot of work happening around gyro development and integrating gyros into radios and and even even just like yeah programming the jet uh, well, tell you what's even probably more complex is programming a, a glider. There's a lot of uh, an F5J glider, full house FJ five uh, J glider. You or an F three J. You've got you've got a all the different settings for cruise and speed. It's like a DLG, a DLG. There's so much programming that goes involved in just getting all the different settings, and that's you know like if you're really into what I worked out, if you're really really into tinkering with your plane to get it to fly perfectly straight and all that kind of stuff. Get into gliding. That's all they're chasing is is this tweaking the plane to make sure that it flies as best as it can, so it can stay up as long as it can. It's just the amount of effort they make in that setup phase is massive. Well, most of us just go get the CG right, a few clicks of trim, and I uh, should be right. But um, these guys are going yeah, to the next level. Yeah, the F5J they run different ballast bars, mm. like slightly slight variance in weight by like ten grams for different weather conditions and this and that and it's just like it's a whole science about it yeah that's right and you know what when you meet the people who are really into it they're, they're wired that way they love that aspect of it they're you know learning about the weather patterns and meteorology and thermals and you know it's it's a it's a it's an all-encompassing aspect of model flying compared to you know propeller flight where we just you know pump the throttle and off you go they're really in touch with the surroundings it's something that i I'm looking forward to going up to my holiday house and throwing the glider off this ridge that I fly at and just because I'll get some really calm conditions there. And I'm just, I was thinking today, should I take a chair, like a lounge chair, like a little, a fold-out chair that I can just sit on? And, I, and I, this image of me just sitting there by myself with my big glider, soaring away, sitting on my chair, maybe a drink next to me, keep me company, maybe play some music oh. in the background. I don't know. I, I'm turning into an old man. And then, right? and then the alarm clock went off. Yeah, then alarm clock went off and went, okay, oh, what? What day is it again? Oh, well. <laughs> now, the other thing that you're a gun at, which a lot of people may not know, is you're an amazing artist. The The way that you can draw, and you have sent me photos 
of like birds that you've drawn that are like photorealistic. The talent that you have is absolutely and utterly phenomenal. I showed my family, my family's into, into painting and drawing, especially my wife. And she said, that is just amazing. She could not believe that you had done that. Not because we don't doubt your abilities, but any human to be able to draw like that is absolutely phenomenal, which led to a good connection with our, our great mate, Ido Segev, in you actually designing schemes for the Segev Design Planes. How did that come about? That all started through iMac. Um, we had uh, Lee and Jai Hunt come up with a idea of doing an iMac comp in the Territory and hold it down at the Catherine Flying Club down there. So that's where Catherine Cracker, because the first one was done during um, the 1st of July, which is our Cracker Day, so we can go out and buy firecrackers and send them off. So they called it Catherine Cracker. So um, through the wonderful thing of Facebook and all that, um, Edo came up. Uh, to do a flying display and stuff like that. So he stayed, when he flew up, he stayed with me at home and then we all drove down to Catherine and just got talking to him about that because I'd done the T-shirt designs and through conversation and cans of Coke and stuff like that, um, he said that he was producing, or him and his bro brother Yonatan were producing a plane or going to produce a plane and, he asked me if I could come up with some ideas on colour schemes because he wanted something unique, not that um, it looks like someone else has produced or copied someone else's. Like, yeah, no worries. So they sent me the basic outline of it and the way I went, drawing it up and trying different things and mix and matching, take that away, add that to what what we end up, what they ended up producing with the articulate. Um, and then the humongous come out, so back to the drawing board and, yeah, many, many hours and back and forth. You know the humongous name was my doing? Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, Ido, the, uh, he was telling me about this model and he said, oh, Andrew, we're designing planes that nobody's ever going to design. We want to do something totally different. It's not an extra. It's not a yak. It's not an edge. It's none of those. It's our own designs. And this latest one that we're building, it's got a four-inch spinner and it's like a 30cc size plane. I said, that's humongous. He goes, that's a good name for a plane. I said, well, it is, isn't it? It's just huge. And he said, we're having problems with trying to get the spinner right because it has to be perfectly balanced being so big and kind of thing. And anyway, uh, yeah, they, they released these planes and there were various different schemes. That the Did you do the purple scheme for the humongous? I did them, I did them all. Yeah, I call, all that, I call that the phantom one. That was the phantom uh, scheme. I think in the end, um, I had 30-odd drawn up. Yeah. And I think they pegged it back to about eight mm. um, for the final. And I, I'm not sure out of that how many actually um, got done. I've got a, I've got the orange and silver. Mm. Humongous. Yeah, very similar yeah. to. Um, well, actually, it's it's a it's an offtake of the the krill um, when Edo was going to get back into flying. Um, he wanted to get his own colour scheme for a new Krill 330, so I, mm. I designed that for him. Um, hence, that's when I got my Krill as well. So I thought, well, my colour scheme, I'll get one. Mm. But, yeah, the Humongous is a, a derivative of that pattern. Okay. And then you also went on to uh, design some schemes for some full-size planes as well, thanks to Edo, when Edo was selling the Aeropract uh, Foxbat planes down here in Melbourne. 
Um, yeah, he wanted to do something different, offer the customers um, something to personalise their their plane. So one of the trips down, I went down to Melbourne um, and spent a week down with Edo and in the hangar, sitting there masking out on one of the real fox bats, trying to come up with some lines that flowed and worked with aircraft. Took a heap of photos and went back to home and sat there and drew it up. Um, as a template, so that way we could play with colours and patterns and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, he, he made a real good shot of it and made a lot of people happy. Yeah, that they um, some of the designs that you did, and they're basically vinyl schemes, weren't they? That ended up being applied on the planes, but they were um, absolutely phenomenal. So it was just a value add that they were that the business was offering that they could have, you know customize the look of your your fox bat airplane and um yeah there was one that you did was a white plane i think with black black and red or something like that i think from memory i can't remember but um yeah there was um one of the ones that come up in the nicest was for a lady out of sydney with a white um vixen mm. um, um gloria and it had like um three tones of blue pattern all down the aircraft on the wheel spats and up on the tail and yeah that, that one took a fair bit of mucking around and that and to the point where we had to adjust the measurements like slightly to get it to fit on the real aircraft. And so I emailed Edo the um, cutting file, then he went to the printer, the sign writer, and said, right, that's it. And then, yeah, they cut it and applied it. And, yeah, it was a whole, whole, whole new learning curve of like doing artwork and designs 4,000 kilometres away from where it's actually getting put on the aircraft and having to make sure <laughs> what I'm yeah. saying is correct. It's hard because, yeah, it's hit and miss, you know, and, and I always say that with that kind of thing, you're working in a three-dimensional space. You know, we can we can design something on a piece of paper, but you've got to be able to visualise what it's going to look with curves and, you know, full size, which makes it hard. Is it is it something that you'd love to do more of, that, you know, uh, scheme design for planes? Yeah, it was. I've always, like, I've always drawn and stuff like that and always wanted the opportunity to to do that like to design color schemes and stuff like that and i'm um, very thankful that i got the opportunity through edo and um i'd love to do more of it but the sad thing was like um it's it's strange like the three days after um the passing of edo the laptop i used to do all my artwork um died like it's i lost thousands of hours of artwork because I was silly enough not to back it up, but it, yeah, all the artwork that I'd done was what went was lost on that computer. It was just like it was strange. Like, like how can this be happening? You like, might be able to get if you, you can. There's people that can pull data off damaged computers. If you, you might be able to get it. Yeah, off I've still got it. Um, it was. It's just like it's there. I will eventually try and do it. Yeah, because um, it's. I spoke to a computer guy. He said, "Yeah, it's going to be expensive for him to strip it down and." to do it and it's just like all right i'll i'll hold off on it but yeah i don't want to it's a part of my life i don't want to lose so mm. it's um yeah, yeah you've got to get it and we'll have a chat after this about that i've got some ideas as you were thinking about uh scheme designs and things like that but uh and you know you, that also forged a great friendship with the great man ito segev and you know whenever you would come down to to melbourne ito would give me the call and say raising town it was like okay Let's go out, catch up, have, have a burger or something, and uh, yeah, and, uh, fat hope, bobs. Yeah, fat <laughs> bobs down here in uh, in Moorabbin would get down to fat Great bobs. Place. And, yeah, awesome place. And Ida used to love going there, and a massive loss to both of us. And you know, he always counted you as one of his closest mates. So 
uh, you know, we're, we're, we're lucky to have had him in our lives for the period that we did. Oh, and, very true. Yeah, so we miss him. Both of us really miss him greatly. But we will continue on our friendship on his behalf. And and if you end up in Melbourne and you don't ring me up, then I'm going to come up to Darwin and beat you up because... Uh, well, you're always welcome to Darwin. You can always come up here and sweat it out and do some flying. I know, I know. Well, you've invited me a lot. But, you know, Ray, don't talk to me at the moment about getting out of Melbourne because... There's nothing more that I'd love to do. Is like I was looking at some photos the other day, and down here in Victoria, we've been in lockdown for quite a long period of time. It looks like we're not going to be set loose for at least another month, potentially a month and a half. This is what uh, late September we're in at the moment when I'm recording this. And uh, I was looking at some photos, and last year I did a lot of travel, a lot of international travel for work into Asia, filming videos and things like that. And and at the time, I was thinking, oh, it's so buggered. It was so hard, you know, such hard work traveling around, which people might think, oh, poor me. But it was, I was on the go a lot. And uh, But I look back and go, I wish I was on the go again. I'm a bit, bit too slow at the moment, trying to work out what I'd do with my weekends. I've finished building all my model airplanes. I can't be bothered touching another one. This podcast, I'm really loving. I, I absolutely adore doing this podcast and interviewing people and having a chat. And, and just before we got on, I was editing this week's uh episode because i'm sort of ahead of myself at the moment with all this time on my hands i'm getting a few interviews under my belt but uh <laughs> as soon as i can raymond whenever i get the opportunity i've got this i've got this opportunity through work which has been put on hold because of the covid thing and if that comes off i'll be traveling around australia and i dare say i could end up in northern territory which means you know what's going to happen move over yeah. silly's in yeah. town we're going to go and have, have a bit of fun so yeah, that's the, uh, it that's that's uh that's the whole thing. Like it's it's amazing how you meet people through error modeling that become lifelong friends. Like True. the mates who who first got me into flying, um, Jason and Scott Russ. Like Scott still lives in Richmond and Sydney, and Jason now lives up on the Central Coast and um, flies. I think Camosa um, near Newcastle. Um, yeah, still keeping contact. Him, another guy I grew up with, um, Tim. He's um, now, he was a designer for Holden. Um, he's now living and working in America, still doing his design work. And it's just amazing, like, the how widespread um, error modeling is. And there's no barriers. This is the thing, you know, that there's no the distance, okay, is a barrier, but to maintain these friendships, like my mate Nostria, Martin Brandmuller, that we spent. You know, a few days every year, you know, past few years, at least last three years, th three days in China together. And we're like good mates. Like I can just send him a message and it's almost like we continue where we left off kind of thing. And I'm the same as you. I think that, that one, that's one of the greatest things about this hobby. It's it's the people that help you make it. You know, a mate of mine, Marty Morgan, he's got, he lives out in the farm and he's got the ability to fly by himself, but he'd rather fly with other people. Like we all say that our dream is to have our own private strip. But my dream is have my own private strip and have my my friends come up and fly at my private strip. That would be my dream. Me sitting there by myself is going to get pretty boring. It's good now and again, you know. It's, uh, don't get me wrong. I love going out and flying a glider by myself and that kind of thing and a bit of downtime. But if you have to do that all the time by yourself, you get pretty bored. So it's it's the people that really make it, and that's it's one of the big things I think we need to promote in the hobby. How I always say that the hobby is awesome for elderly people because it keeps you physically active. Uh, socially active and mentally active and uh, you can't just beat that combination and there's all those people that have a go at the old guys sitting around the flying club shut up you're going to be there at some point in time and they're yeah, doing what they want to do and they're having fun and guess what they're not hogging the strip so if you want to go and fly go and fly but those guys that are hanging around 
are doing it because they're enjoying aero modeling, a side of aero modeling, which is getting together. The only thing I'd love to see a bit more of is what we see in the US when they people get in their RVs and they make a great weekend of it and they have really nice food and, you know, get the smoker out and cook some meat, that kind of thing. Um, we saw it a bit. We had a big, great event down here, a, a stole event, RC stole event at the start of the year, and the guys that organized did an awesome job. And uh, they put on a great spread of food and all that because I think there's nothing beats good company, great planes, good flying, good weather. He's, he's got to have good food. That just seals the deal for me. So, Yeah, the, when they when we had the Masters, um, the, the guys at the Alice Springs Club did an awesome job. Absolutely. The catering was brilliant. And on the presentation night, they actually set up, we had a big dinner down the runway. They had the, the table. Mm. Which I can send you the photo of. There was oh, oh, that'd be awesome. probably forty people, like long down the runway, um, having a beautiful roast dinner. How, the, how um, memorable present. would that be? Like just oh, well, it was more yeah. than the dinner because um, during the dinner, like you could hear like thunder and you could see the lightning in the background, and the local guys are going, "Yeah, we're going to be in trouble." <laughs> and, like watching the radar, it looks like it was going around. They're going, "No, no, we're going to cop this." Um, so just after dinner finished. And people sitting around having a few drinks, like you could feel the cool breeze coming through, and it's like within ten minutes, everyone's huddled together underneath the big awning at the club, um, trying to keep um, dry because this massive storm rolled through. Yeah. It's those. <laughs> it's just, that's the thing that makes the memories. You know, it's oh, the it was, things it that go great. wrong that are more memorable than the things that go right. Everything going right is just. So, I say it to my kids when they go to school camps. I say you'll only remember the stuff ups in the and the and the stupid people that did stupid things, you know, like the kid that jumped over the fire and fell in. You know, that's what you're going to remember. You you know you know you're going to remember not falling asleep because people were mucking around all night. You know, if, and it's the same with some of these events. If, if they're too smooth, it just it's a non-event. You, you want something to happen that that bonds everybody. So and uh, uh, you know. That just sounds like an awesome thing. Like the the actual rain shower sounds like an all awesome thing to happen as well. Yeah, so, no, the whole trip, like from from there was three cars left from from Darwin going down in a big convoy. Um, we stayed at Daily Waters on the night, and then Devil's Marbles, and then rolled into um, Alice, and then we stayed at Winter Sun, and we had what, cabins all side by side. So there was a whole group of us so overnight. We'd all cook up something and. Put it on the table, and oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was just the um, unbelievable times through aero modeling. Even traveling across to Queensland for the ASAA Nationals and down to Yenda to Scott Bardney's yard um, down there. Just the whole road trip part of the yeah, flying of event it. is, and just the people you meet. And um, yeah. that's the thing is, being in Darwin, you're, you're, you're far away from everywhere, but yeah. what would you yeah, know? It's that's good. What would what would you like to? Is there something still in the hobby that you'd love to achieve that you haven't yet? Um, I don't know. Like I'd I'd want I want to build as I said before, build a really nice scale warbird and do it properly, all panel lines, rivets, and like, but obviously time restraints and and life gets in the way of hobby the hobby. Um. That that's a goal I wanted to, I want to do. Um, competing, I've done a little bit of it. I wouldn't say I'm hugely successful, and so I've had a go. Um, eventually, yeah, maybe get a nice F5J glider because I do like my gliding. 
Um, but yeah, it, it's I don't know. It's it's hard to say. I, I enjoy enjoy the flying I'm doing. Um, enjoy the people I've met and people I fly planes with. It's um good way to kill an afternoon and yeah, mm. not sure, but yeah, there's a few builds, things change, like you get really keyed on about building this and then you see something else, oh, that'd be interesting, that'd be cool. Mm-hmm. So um, before I bought the 339, I like the um, T-33 Shooting Star, and it's a cool looking aircraft and there's one for sale done in a... Um, Canadian scheme for a while flying around on RC train. It's like, oh, that's a really nice model. And I'm not sure who ended up with it, but every so often you pop something and see a photo of it. And go, oh, yeah, that'd be good. I know. So you, nice, get, but... you get that itch, don't you? And then you, you can't. Yeah, you definitely get that itch. But then, <laughs> and then you've got to just take a step back in reality and, like, oh, no, I've, I've, got, I've got enough. Like, I'm very limited to room. Like, I've got a nice trailer that I built um, that's not quite full, but. A um, couple more models that'll be full, and I've got planes scattered throughout the house, and it's just yeah, my my build desk has become a dumping pile at the moment, which I've got to clean up before I start building. But yeah, I've got a um, Balsa USA um, Spad thirteen, which I'm just going to go and pick up from TNT on Monday. Um, you didn't tell me about that build. <laughs> it's like it's yeah. never ending with it. Oh, it's it's um what else? I've got. Bought a 30cc Black Horse um, Hawker Typhoon. Um, that's yeah. over in Queensland. Waiting to try and get that over here. So basically, add receiver, go fly. So that that'll that'll satisfy the urge for the big tempest for a little while. But mm. yeah, eventually, I'll, I'll build a tempest. nice big warbird. Yeah, you will. Now, Ray, you, you you've had lots of planes, so this question should be uh, an easy one for you to answer. All right. It's it's an it's a question that I've asked everybody, and that is, what has been your favourite model? Oh, unsure. Um, my my Bill Hempel Decathlon. That was, I'll get it. I'll never sell it. It was my ultimate. I didn't really fly it all that much, but I still love the model. Um, probably, I don't know. It's it's hard to say because, like, it's something I've built or ARF. Um, yeah, probably oh, years and years ago, I built a um, one-fifth scale Pika um, Spitfire and yeah, it come up really nice and that flew nice. That's probably the nicest scratch-built plane I've built. Um, Flying-wise, as much as I say, I don't like the look of it, the Yak 55M that I've got, uh, 50cc, they're, they're not a nice-looking plane. But it flies unbelievable. It's a really nice plane to fly. And also the decathlon that I've got at the moment is absolutely beautiful to fly. So, yeah, probably a mix of those. I don't have a one mix. real. Yeah, I asked for one, Ray, and you're giving me your whole one. Hanger. Well, you've got to have options. It's I'm going to say. Hanger. That's, I'm going to. Options. Well, the plane that. Options. When I think of Ray Younger, the plane that comes to mind is, is the Hempel decathlon. That's what. That's what comes to mind is that uh, that put you on the map. Yeah, well, put you on long build, and I took my time with that, and run all the good gear and stuff like that. And it, it's probably got, even though I don't own it anymore, it means a lot mm. to who like, who test flew it and yeah. the whole the whole story from start to go to finish. Um, yeah, that that's still 
special means mate. a lot to me. And it's the um, Norm now uh, who's got it. Um, loves flying. He says it's a joy to fly, and he's putting some um, hours on it. Excellent. Still in one piece. Now, Ray, really appreciate you spending the time with us here on the Flat Out RC podcast. And tell us a bit about flying the Northern Territory and the Masters Games. We've covered a lot of territory, which I knew that we would. When I said to you, come on the podcast, I said, we've got heaps to talk about and we've been going for a while. So thanks for that. Appreciate your time. Well done. Well done with the work that you did with Segev Design as well. That's going to be in our memory for for a long time and being good mate to Ido, of course, and, and to me as well. So look forward to catching up with you, Raymond, next time you're down yeah, here in Melbourne. Once. I'm up there. I, I, yeah, yeah I, I'm telling you, you're disease free. I might um look at travelling down, or um, yeah. If you if you weren't in a hot spot, you could actually come to Alice Springs in a couple of weeks and do some jet flying. That would be uh, that would, would be, be more great. than happy to more than happy to help you with your with your I jet. Um, well, my family so. keeps on saying they want to uh, they all want to go to Alice Springs and you know do that Central Australia trip, and that is on the cards. But uh, I'll be in touch. I will definitely be in touch with you if that trip actually happens but let's just focus on trying to get more than five kilometers from a house at the moment that'd be the perfect <laughs> well you know in about half an hour time i'll be traveling about 10 k's and going out to the flying field oh bugger okay on that note i'm going thanks ray appreciate your time right. see you ray. thanks andrew bye about to leave already packing come with me i'm not really asking we'll get away a place where we don't know well end of another show uh big thank you to ray younger for joining me uh what a great guy he is and i uh, really enjoyed having someone from the good old northern territory joining us i've got more coming i've got south australia covered wa i'm trying to gear someone up to wa and then we've probably covered everybody got oh, actually got south australia new south wales coming up uh so we it's a bit of a hint that there are more episodes coming for the Flat Out RC podcast and don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're currently listening to so you will be notified when the new episodes come out. And don't forget, whilst you're at, at it, subscribing to things, jump onto the Flat Out RC Instagram, YouTube and Facebook page and follow us, follow us there. Uh, looking forward to getting back flying, get back into the, the video production side of things. We've really got a lot of plans with the video production once we can get to the flying field. So looking forward to that. So stay tuned again. Thanks, Ray. Thanks all of you for joining me once again and listening. I'll be back next week for more of the Flat Out RC podcast. Now looking back, eyes on the freeway, Bonnie and Clyde, a classic cliche. We're on the run. This is what we waited for.